Happy New Year and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in NACIO's home city, Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. Today, for our first episode of 2021, we are excited to talk with Stacy Mill, who is the Chief Technology Officer in the state of Kansas. Stacy has served in this role since August of 2019, and we are looking forward to hearing all about what her priorities are, her thoughts on the ongoing pandemic, and how she ended up in her current position. Stacy, thanks so much for joining us on NACIO Voices. Glad to be here. So, uh, first of all, Happy New Year. I hope you were able to take some time off over the last couple of weeks. How did you spend your holiday time? Really just taking some time off just to spend with my my family. We made sure we uh, quarantined for two weeks before my two daughters came to visit. And we just spent, you know, five wonderful days together uninterrupted. That's awesome. Good for you. It was, yeah, a quieter holiday for me, for sure. I'm usually in the car a lot traveling around and we stayed home this year. So good for you guys. So I'm sure our listeners would love to hear a bit first about your background and how you ended up in your current role as CTO in Kansas. So my journey started in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, That's where I'm from, just outside of Louisville. And I started working for uh, Humana outside of college. So they recruited me out of college. I worked for Humana for 17 years and um, really had no plans to ever leave Humana. But because I was one of the first CISOs on the security side, chief information security officers, I got recruited to uh, Young Brands, which is also headquartered in Louisville. And that started my journey, um, you know, leading international teams, leading teams remotely. And through that, I took a couple of roles um, that literally were people who had recruited me, recruited me when they left to go to new roles. And so uh, along the way, I found myself with Spirit Aerosystems in Wichita, Kansas. When I was there, I was asked to join and apply for the Leadership Kansas group. And there was over 600 applicants and only 40 were selected. So I was privileged to be selected for Leadership Kansas. And my whole pulpit was about bringing IT to Kansas and how to leverage our learning institutions and some of our technical institutions to bring more talent to the state and retain talent. So long story short, I met the Secretary of Administration, Dr. D'Angelo Burns-Wallace, with the state of Kansas in that class of Leadership Kansas. And we just started talking after she took over the IT groups. Uh, I came in just pro bono and took a look around some things for her. And I literally, literally fell in love with the state of Kansas through that process and fell in love with our state IT group just because they just needed so much. And Dr. Burns-Wallace is an amazing leader as well. And so you combine those and my want to really serve our state and to serve technology um, across the board. And it just matched up for me. I've loved it. It's been a great year here. So, Stacy, one of the one of the best things I think about this podcast is Amy and I get to hear all the different backgrounds from you know state CIOs, from state CISOs, from other state IT leaders, and everyone has a different path to how you ended up where you are. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was: could you compare and contrast your time in the private sector with your time in state government? Yes, and you know each one's different. So, starting out in 
insurance and hospitals with Humana very regulated, especially around not just payment, but patient records. And so I was raised on technology that, you know, those 17 years that not only was web-based, but also national across the U.S., so it wasn't regional, it was national, and then it built upon that with Yum International. And each step along the way, my career has grown in a different, even though a lot of these were laterals, man, the, the truth is take a lateral because you, you talk about mm-hmm. growth. So starting in that insurance, first and foremost, then in Humana Military, which was DOD security and NIST. So that contract is how security actually started at Humana, meaning we had security requirements come up from NIST for our $8 billion contract. And so I grew up in, again, insurance, NIST, that type of detailed uh, regulations, and you had to prove them with DITSCAP and DICAP for many, many years. Then when we go to food service with YUM, you know, it's like going from Fort Knox to Berkeley in the 60s, <laughs> right. meaning there were no regulations and they were kind of their big play into security was around PCI requirements and payment card industry requirements. So learned a lot about not only international law, but international privacy and technical contracts across the globe. Very different on how you do that versus a U.S. based, Right. And then from there, I got into more and more global companies, Car Global, which was um, automotive. Um, and I literally got a call one day out of the blue about um, Spirit Aero Systems. And that's how I wound up in Kansas. Again, just taking those opportunities, just listening to them at first and then taking those leaps. You know, there's been a lot of opportunity come my way, but I've been very careful and cautious about what I've taken. And And that's really been the game changer for me and why I really have uh, developed my mentality of that service is that I've I've had a great career. I love it. And I've still got 15, 20 years to give back to an industry. And when I fell in love with state, that's really why I'm here. And I really want to give that back. It's really great to hear. Thanks for answering that. So we're about 10 months into the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you talk about uh, what your role has been in your state's pandemic response? Yeah, I say Friday the 13th, March 13th of 2020, life changed again for me. You know, it was about six months in working hard, heads down on all of the IT technologies and, and seeing where we are trying to get like data center as a service operational. Not only do we get data centers as service operational, we lit a data center and moved into it in six months. Unheard of. But the big thing there is it was because we we put out a strategy early in January. We aligned around it and we were all executing towards it. You know, it's simple, right? Get your strategy together, align on it, move forward. Well, when COVID hit, all of the strategies that I talked about or wondered about, for instance, work from home or remote work, um, soft phones, cloud enablement. None of that was here. None of it. Not not even a speck of it. Um, we didn't really have a good conference or a collaboration tool either to do virtual conferencing. So long, long, long story. The thing I'm most proud about is that not only were these just thoughts before the pandemic, 
we took those thoughts and very quickly across my team and all of the agencies, we were rolling. I mean, from day one, we we set up AWS Connect for, you know, expanding call centers. We've expanded, you know, our services by, I should say our systems by sometimes a hundred fold. So if you talk about Department of Labor, they went from a very small system servicing maybe, maybe 8,000 in a month to servicing 260,000 people a day. Wow. Um, and that didn't happen overnight. But Friday the 13th, March 2020, was a four-day call, literally. We started that call Friday morning, and we didn't get off of it till Monday night. Wow. And we used that time to start scaling the labor systems. And again, when you scale a system and we're adding memory and CPU, right? Now we had to not only do that, we had to add functionality. And that has been going on with the KDAL system since the, since March. So that's really the most, the thing I'm most proud of is, is getting people paid um, through the UI, through that unemployment insurance and enabling our workforce to work remotely. What's been the response to working from home from state employees in general? You know, did people on your team want to keep it this way? Or are they eager to get back in the office? It's a split. Mm-hmm. So let me just put it that way. It is a split. 50% love it. 50% want people. You know, they went back in that office. But all of that is predicated by the fact that their kids are there learning, right? A lot of people are having trouble getting daycare, you know, childcare. And so what I think it is right now, it's not truly a a remote work environment. It's a remote work environment for those of us who don't have kids at home, you know, but for those of us who have kids or elderly parents or other situations, man, it's a nightmare for them and they they want out. But I think what's going to come out of this is the fact that we've proven we can securely remote work and provide services. That's on the employee side, right? What we've got to do is catch up on the digital enablement, digital government side and make sure that all of the government services are available online. And that's not the case today. Right. For sure. And I know Amy has her daughter at home and my daughter's been in and out of daycare. So certainly not exactly, you know, a a work from home environment, you know, more like teaching and living and trying to work and do all this stuff. So definitely uh, sympathize with a lot of uh, folks who feel that way too in Kansas. Yeah, absolutely. So we've asked this question to a few state CIOs, but we're always interested in seeing how answers compare and contrast. So of course, there have been some changes in state government or within state IT during the pandemic. Of those changes, what do you see sticking around? Great question. Definitely remote uh, work capabilities. Um, coming from corporate America, I'm used to working past five o'clock and I'm used to working weekends. You know, I've been on call since I was 19. That's when I started in corporate America IT. Yes, as a co-op. I think that and knowing that we can work different hours is what I mean. Meaning some people are very, you know, morning people and get their best work done in the morning. You know, so if you were a state worker before you showed up at eight, you left at five. Now people are much more into that remote work where, hey, I might work on the weekend. Hey, I might work at night. I might do whatever as long as I get my work done. 
So I hope that those two things stick, the ability to work remotely and the ability to get stuff done, because we've proven we have tripled, quadrupled our efforts um, during this pandemic, of course, anybody in IT has. But we want to do that and not burn the team out, too. So if you're so I'm, I'm kind of saying don't do what I do, which is I'm on the phone all day, every day, 12, 16 hours a day through the weekends during the pandemic. Now, of course, that's getting better as things have gone on. Everybody's gotten better working together. We've gotten our systems up and operational, you know, meaning scaled them out. Things have gotten much better. But that's the big thing is that that is what will keep us from being able to continue remote work is if everybody tries to burn everybody out and we don't have that work-life balance. So hopefully we keep it and we all get better at work-life balance. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. And I think if you if you're using that flexibility as a way to balance your life out better, you know, you feel more okay about going to see your kids performance in the middle of the day, right? Because you know, you can catch up on work later. Yeah. Instead of just working 20 hours a day, then it can be a really great thing. And see, that's the thing coming from a global environment, you know, I, I used to call it follow the sun. So I had to be able to plan my day, plan my time. Sometimes I had staff meetings at 7am. Sometimes I had staff meetings at 7pm because I had to catch, you know, from Shanghai, India, Europe, and U.S., wow. all, they were all had direct reports across. That's new to government. That thought of a few hours here and a few hours there still adds up, right? It doesn't have to be eight to five. So let's hope that continues. So Stacy, it's a new year. We know it will be different, or at least we hope it'll be different than, uh, than 2020, but no one really knows exactly how or, or when or how much. What are some of your top priorities as CTO as we move into 2021 with that in mind? Well, another thing that we've learned during the pandemic is that there is a lot of state governments using cloud, using AWS, using Google, using Azure and other software as a service, platform as a service, or even infrastructure as a service outside their four walls. That for me is, you know, huge. The big thing for me as a CTO is to show, educate, and enable the state to leverage these different cloud platforms, know that they're secure. So that means we're going to have to put in different type of uh, monitoring systems, different type of security systems, and really enable that what, what's called now, it's, kind of, it's called SASE, Secure Access Service Edge. So what that means is you put security wherever your data is. Our data may be here in our data center, might be in an outsourced data center, might be in a cloud, might be at a third party, but no matter where it is, we need to secure it and make sure we have the performance and the view of it end to end in our application. So that's going to be my big focus for not only the next calendar year, but I think for the next couple of years to make sure we get those levels in as we need them and just fully embrace um, computing that's out there secure and usable for us. That's great. So you are on the board of advisors for the Executive Women's Forum on Information, Security, Risk Management, and Privacy. Tell us about what led you to have an interest in this area and promoting women in tech. Well, it came from, you know, being one of the few women in the room for most of my career. Um, I can remember a time, especially when I was a co-op, when I was the one of two women on a floor of maybe 200 different IT people, including the leadership. So the only other women 
that were there were in some type of supporting roles. And I'll never forget one time uh, as a young engineer, when I was probably three or four years in at Humana, and I went to meet with some IBM mainframe people, engineers. And when I went to greet them, they asked me if I was my boss's secretary. They said, hey, are you Gary's secretary? And I was like, no, I'm actually the engineer you're here to meet with today to sell your product. <laughs> I guess being raised, I was raised by an army colonel, lots of brothers and stuff. I didn't really see it until I got into college and into, into working life that, you know, I really was not being I don't want to say taken seriously, but I guess that's the word that comes to mind because of uh, being a female. But I also didn't have any female role models growing up in IT. You know, they were always worked for a male CIO and a male manager and a male this, that and the other. So it was really just because I didn't see it as growing up. I want to be that example. I want to share what I've what I've learned over the years and, and with all of the various different people at uh, EWF, especially on the CISO side, because it's tough. Then you add, you know, diversity on top of that. And, and I just think it's something that every one of us should do is reach back out to help someone up. And that's really what it's about for me. That's great. I love that. Yeah, I have a, a story similar to that from working in the electric utility industry. And um, it, it happens to all of us at some point, I think. <laughs> Okay, so before we end our interview today, we always like to take a few minutes at the very end to get to know our guests a little bit better in a fun segment we call The Lightning Round. We'll ask you three questions about you and your life outside of work. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. If you could go back in time one year to January 2020 and give yourself one piece of advice for getting through the year, what would it be? Pace yourself. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I, I can't tell you. I think from March to mm-hmm. end of May, I had one weekend off and just lived by the, I mean, literally lived, fell asleep with the laptop in my, and, you know, holding it. And so I just wanted to, I want to do better than that. But I think it had a lot to do really with just not knowing some of these infrastructures and having to learn them overnight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were talking about your four-day phone call. I was picturing that weekend and I was like, the rest of us were just seeking out toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. That was the biggest joke was I, you know, one time I I, I sent up a note that said, we'll work for toilet paper. So. (laughs) Right. Oh, hopefully those days are behind us. Okay. What's something outside of work that you are really passionate about? Mentoring. I'm, I'm really, really passionate about um, the EWF and mentoring. I also mentor and big uh, proponent for Ivantas, uh, which are, you know, free conferences that we as CIOs and CISOs put together. I've been doing that for over 13 years. So I love those. I love both of those. That's great. And Nessia is going to be focusing uh, some on a women in technology initiative, creating a forum. And we dipped into that a little bit during our virtual annual conference. And I know you were part of that and you were really great in your advice and comments on that get together. So uh, I look forward to you being involved in that as we go on too. Look so forward to it. I've started women in IT groups um, just about everywhere we've been. It's, it's really fun. Fantastic. Okay. And last question, like myself, you are a Kentucky girl. I believe you went to college in the county seat of my home county, Madison County, Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky University. I'm from Berea. So what's one thing you can only pick one that you miss from Kentucky. 
Okay, so I would Jones out and do family, but I got to say Derby. I miss Derby in all things Derby. Yes, absolutely. Well, you can still have Derby parties far away, which I did when I lived in D.C. And uh, I found that it was even more like way more fun to be a Kentucky Wildcat fan when I didn't live in the state. (laughs) And how funny is it that it, it even came up in my interview about Kansas versus Kentucky because I'm a big UK fan. And uh, so that's been funny, me being here. And, and so I always pitch for K-State. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. <laughs> but, you know, love it all. I love it here, too. It's a great group. Just not when UK plays Kansas. That's right. Sorry. Right. That's okay. You know, you got to stick with your roots, Stacey. Yeah. Yeah, I'm blue and white, not blue and red. <laughs> Fair enough. So thank you so much for for taking the time today. We really enjoyed talking with you and look forward to hopefully seeing you in person sometime later this year. I know it's sort of aspirational, but Amy and I are really holding on hope that we can do some sort of in-person conference later in the year. Sounds great. Look forward to meeting you. Thanks so much for having me on. I loved it. Thanks. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to Nacio Voices. Just a reminder, we have three different recorded deep dive sessions all about remote work from our virtual annual conference. You can watch those on our website or on our YouTube channel. We'll put a link in the show notes. And in case you missed our last couple of episodes over the holidays with Eric Sweden and Doug Robinson, you can find them along with all of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Have a great start to the new year, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.